Welcome to the Agency Profit Podcast, a show dedicated to going deep space on agency operations, which is just as nerdy as it sounds. I'm your host, Marcel Petipoff. I'm the CEO of Parakeeto, a firm that helps digital and creative agencies measure and improve their profitability. Join me as I interview some of the smartest thought leaders and agency owners in our space and go deep into operations and metrics and all the other things you need to get right so you can spend less time worrying about operations and more time executing on your vision. Hey, what's up? It's Marcel here. And before we start the episode, I've got to let you know that the new Parakeeto course is live. You can go get access to it. And we are right now, if you're listening to this, doing a limited time offer. This is the best deal that we will ever have on the course. And it includes a bunch of bonuses that we're never going to give away ever again. And so if you've ever thought to yourself, man, I would really love to just be able to learn how to do what Parakeeto does and teach my team, give them a resource that they can just consume when they get onboarded so we can start to take control of measuring and improving our profitability, this is your chance to do it. The course covers our framework from soup to nuts, and I poured so much time into making this as complete as I possibly can. So if you're interested in getting access to that, check the show notes for a link. With that, I hope you are as excited as I am about this, and I will let you get to the episode, so enjoy it, and I'll see you soon. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Agency Profit Podcast. I have a very exciting guest to introduce you guys to today. He's a person that I met in Calgary, at the Communo Summit. He shared his story. I thought it was both hilarious and inspirational and fun, but also sad. It was a little bit of everything. I felt like I <laughs> watched a movie. Uh, he is the co-founder of Working Not Working, a curated global platform that connects the world's best creative talent with the most innovative companies in the world like Apple, Google, Droga5, Airbnb, and many more, and basically helps freelancers like who he used to be find great projects to work on and make sure that they always have something interesting to work on. Prior to working on Working Not Working, uh, this person did some pretty cool stuff. He was an award-winning art director at some pretty big agencies that you might recognize like Ogilvy Mather and Toy. And he's probably best known for being behind Elf Yourself, which uh, is helped people create over 1.5 billion elves uh, in super funny, random video Christmas cards since 2006. He's also gained some notoriety for selling garbage to thousands of people all around the world and auctioning off paintings of things that he wanted for the cost of those things and somehow making that work and then using that idea to raise lots of money for a good cause. So with all of that, I'm super excited to introduce you guys to Justin Gignac. Did I say that right? <laughs> Welcome, Justin. Nailed it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for being on the show, man. I Again, after hearing you in Calgary, I was just like, I want to be friends with this person because um, he's cool and he's done some very cool things. But before we get into more of your story and more of what you're working on, I'd love for you to just, you know, in your own words, help everyone understand what you do uh, and who you serve today. Yeah. So right, right now, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Working Out Working. And as you said, we're a global community of the best creatives in the world. Uh, and we are just, uh, our mission is to eliminate the obstacles between creative people and opportunity. And the biggest one is obviously getting jobs and hiring creatives. Um, so that's what we started out with, but you know, we're also tackling a lot of other obstacles like, uh, creative insecurity and the loneliness of freelance and really just trying to build a community around you know, freelancers and full-timers, uh, but helping bridge that gap between the talent and the people you know, seeking the talent. 
Very cool. And so previous to starting Working Not Working, you did a lot of things. You worked at some pretty big agencies, working on pretty big projects, and then you spent a long time working on your own. And Obviously, you did some cool projects when you were at big agencies, but you also did some of, I believe, your coolest work when you were not working at big agencies and you were working for yourself. And I think that what fascinates me about you, Justin, is that most people have a cool idea and they're like, that's a cool idea. And then that's it. Nothing ever happens. Whereas you had cool ideas and then all of a sudden they were happening for real and they became pretty big things. So what do you believe is true about you that, you know, made the difference between having an idea and not executing and having your ideas and actually turning them into what you turn them into? Uh, I think one of the biggest things for me is that I'm pretty shameless. Um, so when I was a kid, my dad used to bring me to, I, I went to, I grew up Catholic, I went to Catholic school and we were basically continuously selling things to try to raise money. And so when I was, five, six, seven years old, my dad would bring me into his office at the radio station he worked at and just let me loose on the you know entire staff trying to peddle whether it was wrapping paper or candy bars. Um, and I was just out there selling stuff. And then as a teenager in high school, I was a cheerleader when there was no other <laughs> male cheerleader all except for me and the three guys on my squad. And then I was a professional mascot for a few years. So it's like, you know, I didn't really have a lot of shame. And then you know, I think that really set me up to be willing to put things out into the world and not really care if they, if, if they work or not, or if people will judge them. Uh, you know, for me, it was just the excitement of having these ideas and putting them out there. Uh, and, you know, and I have in, in my talks, I, I like to disclaimer that I am a procrastinator and it's a huge issue for me. And so a lot of the, you know, I have done a lot of projects, but it's been over about a you know 15 year career. Um, so a lot of like, Every creative I know, we have tons of ideas, and I sat on a lot of them for a long time. Like, uh, and we'll get into some of them, but usually, I, I I would have a wall with post-it notes of all my ideas, and they would just be those ones that kept rising to the top, and be like, "Hey, I should do that. Hey, I should do that. Hey, I should do that." And sometimes it would be an idea I've had for six months or a year, and then finally say, "Screw it, I got to go." So just because I'm sure everyone's really curious about the snippet that I gave in the intro, I'd love to just dig in just because it's such a fun story to two of the projects in particular that you worked on. The first one being New York City garbage. How did Uh you start selling cubes of garbage to people all around the world? So I had a summer internship the summer after my sophomore year of college, so second year of college. um, And I was interning at MTV. and day we were having a discussion about the importance of package design and someone said that packaging didn't matter and I thought that was ridiculous so I figured the only way I could prove them wrong was to try to package something that nobody would ever want to buy and if I could convince people to buy it then they knew the package design was successful and so I was looking down to Times Square and like obviously people don't want garbage Uh, and New York is so notorious for being pretty filthy and covered in trash uh, and so I like, oh, if I could package garbage and convince people to buy it, then I could, you know, prove that person wrong. And so that was an idea that I sat on for almost a year. And then finally, you know, one day the following summer, I was like, all right, I got to do this. And I went and bought ten acrylic cubes uh, from the plastic store down in Canal Street, and I made some labels. And I went out and picked up garbage and put them in. And I went was on the streets on like a little cardboard box that I had spray painted. It said "Garbage for Sale." And I started hawking them. 
And I was like yelling, like, wherever you're from, your garbage sucks compared to ours. I, I touch it so you don't have to. And I was initially trying to sell them for $10 a piece and nobody was buying them. So I tried selling them for $5 a piece. Nobody was buying them. I tried selling them for $5 plus a free portrait that I would draw. Nobody was buying them. And after about maybe seven, eight hours, it was probably like 10 o'clock at night. I was sitting on uh, just between 42nd and 43rd Street. And some older gentleman from Ecuador who didn't really speak any English uh, came by. And he saw I picked it up, smiled asked how much and I said $5 and uh, he bought one and I was like, holy shit, I just sold garbage. And <laughs> uh, I, I packed my stuff up. I was all excited. And I came out the next day with like even more enthusiasm and I, I sold maybe five or six more. And it gave me the, the confidence that maybe I'm onto something. And so I made a, a really, really crappy website. So back in 2002, I was using Photoshop and image ready, basically just sliced up your Photoshop file and then, made it, uh, made it for the web. And, you know, I, cause I didn't know how to make a website. So I just used whatever tools I had and I put the site up and, you know, that was probably like a month later, a few weeks later. And I sent it to some media outlets and I ended up getting press and time out in New York. And then that led to NBC and CBS, the new local news stations coming to my dorm room and interviewing me. And then it just blew up from there. Um, and so that was like, for me, like a very early, uh, example of like how the power of one idea, because it was like just super simple. And the headline was like, you know, New York city college student sells trash for $10 a box. Uh, and I would start getting newspaper write-ups in New York, but then all of a sudden it would be in London. And then I would get calls from radio stations and London magazines and blogs. And I, I almost saw, you ever saw the spider web effect of an idea as well, because I would get press in, in London and then suddenly I would get press all over Europe and then I would get press in, you know, Korea and I'd start getting reached out to from all over Asia. Um, and I ended up, I couldn't keep up the demand. So I raised the price from $10 a box to $25. Um, and they still kept selling. And a couple of years later, I raised the price to $50 to try to curb sales and they still kept selling. And the funny thing that happened is when they were $10, people thought it was like a joke, like a funny joke. That's $25. People considered it, you know, kind of a cool souvenir from New York. And at $50, people started calling it art. <laughs> uh, and so it's like changing the price really changed people's perception of its value, uh, which is basically what the entire luxury goods industry is based on. So, uh, you know, it definitely uh, was completely unexpected. And it's a project I did for maybe 10, 12 years and ended up selling about 1,300 cubes. And, and the, I even did limited editions where I would sell for $100 a box. And so that would be like New Year's Eve in Times Square. Um, first day, uh, gay marriage was legal in New York. I went outside the city uh, clerk's office and collected stuff from there and ring boxes and confetti. I did Obama's inauguration. Uh, the Dublin City Council in Dublin, Ireland flew me over there to make St. Patrick's Day garbage. Um, so it was you know, a, a project that had a lot of legs. Definitely a blast to do, but... It was disgusting, and I have a really strong gag reflex, so it's definitely not the, the business <laughs> I should be in, uh, but I had a lot of fun with it. Such an interesting idea, and I think you know one nice business lesson that we can extract from that is the power of value-based pricing and just how much subjectivity there is to value. I mean, to your point, raising the price to $50 all of a sudden changed it from being you know a souvenir to art. Uh, it's just funny. So yeah, pricing is an interesting thing. And sometimes your price can actually make people lose trust in you or lose confidence in you as a creative, um, which is also very interesting. Yeah. Something to consider. So that's, I think a really, um, 
just a great story. I just wanted everyone to hear it because I thought it was just hilarious when I sat there and listened to it. Um, and you kind of came up with that early on in your career. And of course, you went on to do a few other things. One of the things that I'm curious about is you spent kind of the later half of your career as a solo creative kind of working independently. Um, and then now you've transitioned into trying to help more people like you, you know, have a, a nice career doing that. What was it that really made you want to switch from working at big agencies to working independently? So I had known I wanted to be in advertising since I was 11 years old. And so I went to school for it. I went and did it and I loved it. Like my first job was at Ogilvy and I, you know, it was only there a year and a half, but my first commercial was a IBM commercial with Muhammad Ali in it and Penny Marshall and John Wooden, the famous basketball coach. And we had like a million and a half dollar budget, which is crazy. I never had any budget even remotely close to that after that. And I ended up doing a Super Bowl spot with Muhammad Ali. It was like, it was amazing. And I ended up going from there to uh, Fallon and then went from there to Toy where we did the Elf Yourself thing. And for me, uh, I really enjoyed advertising, but I got a bit burnt out with the, the expectations that you're working, you know, 24-7. Um, and I really love ideas. And I felt like we spent a lot of time coming up with ideas, presenting ideas, focus group ideas, and killing ideas, and really not enough time making them. Um, and so I felt if I could freelance, I could, you know, freelance at agencies to pay the bills and, you know, hopefully still get to make some cool stuff. Um, and then also take time off to pursue my personal project, whether that be garbage or, you know, New York City garbage project or anything else. And so for me, it was like, I just wanted to put more ideas out in the world. And I just, you know, I'd rather come up with ideas that make, you know, potentially make me millions of dollars than a, you know, agency and a holding company. Hmm. And I just think we have the tools, you know, I think advertising is an amazing boot camp to learn how to make ideas. Like you learn how to get past the good ideas, the great ideas. You learn how to actually make things and you build a network of people who inspire you and support you. Uh, and then once you have those tools, you can really do anything with it. And that's the thing I've learned from garbage and from some of my other art projects that I can come up with an idea on Friday, make it over the weekend and have it out on Monday and then have it spread around the world in a week. Um, and we don't really need to wait for other people to greenlight, you know, our ideas and the things that make us excited and fulfilled. So there's something I want to dig into there because I think it's something that I've seen a lot and I take exception to at times, which is this culture of suffering that kind of exists in creative agencies. Um, and it's especially pronounced, I find, in some of the meccas, so the New Yorks, the Londons, the San Francisco's. What do you think, I think there's kind of two questions here. The first is, what do you think pragmatically causes um, people to work so much inside of agencies. Cause I have a theory on this, but I'm curious to know from your experience being inside of them, why people actually like are working that much. And then there's kind of the more subjective side of that, which is like, why is that something that has not changed and can kind of continues to be pushed forward and that people almost buy into in a sense. Um, oh, people completely buy into. And I think it's this, uh, this mindset uh, that, ideas take a long time <laughs> and, and this is how it's always been done, right? You have to go in, you have to pay your dues, you have to work late, you have to grind, you have to be there every weekend. And I just think a lot of that's bullshit. I think if you're good enough at your job, you should be able to get it done between nine and seven, five days a week. Of course, there's going to be weekends. You got to work in late nights when you're not cracking it, but, it, but to kind of throw in the towel on a Tuesday to say, you know, I had, I had to count people say one time, uh, Hey, we're, um, we're going to be working on Saturday. So I just want to know what you guys are going to want for lunch. This was on a Tuesday. 
And I was like, that's ridiculous. Done, you'll take seven days. If you have five days to get the job done, you'll take five days. And I just think buying into that like grind mentality that you're 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 showing that your value because you're there later than your creative director and you're there later than everyone else. And it's like once you know how to do this, you should be able to do it pr- pretty quickly and efficiently. And uh, I just I, I think people just buy into this hype. And you know, for me, it was like spending all this time like sacrificing you know, time with family and friends and relationships and, you know, things you're never going to get back, like missing friends, you know, bachelor parties and, and, and birthday parties um, for these very few moments of validation that happen within the industry. So it's, you know, a couple times a year, you're happy if you launch something that you're proud of, or if it, then you wait, you know, another six months for it to potentially win an award. And we keep seeing these like small little peaks that we aspire to and keep us going for the other 12 months. And just, you know, for me, that wasn't enough. Uh, it was too much sacrifice for the, for the, the, the payoff. So I'm interested to know, in your opinion, how much of this problem is predicated on just the fact that in a lot of agencies, the workforce is subsidizing the poor management and poor job of scoping and managing expectations of the managing team. And then how much of it is actually this belief that like to be creative, we almost have to suffer to make us more creative somehow. Um, I'm interested That's in your perspective on that. I think it's a very unhealthy cocktail of both of those, uh, per, probably pretty evenly. Uh, because if you have leadership that, that, perpetuates that mindset that we have to be here all the time to do it, then you're going to feel like you have to, you want to keep your job. You want to impress people. You want to get raises and promotions. And so, you know, it all comes from the top down. If you're working for a workaholic, then you have to be a workaholic. So it's open up to them. Um, and then you have people growing up in a system like that. And it's like, well, back in my day, we were here all the time. And then they're running an agency like that as well. Um, and so I, I heard people say like, don't take jobs for anyone who doesn't have kids <laughs> because like, you know, you want someone that has a reason and maybe has something else that they are prioritizing in their life that gives them that balance that lets them know that it's not all just work. It is like, we, we need to have these, especially as a creative person, you need to have those inputs, um, and inspiration and, uh, you know, you need to have different things coming in to be able to inform what's going on in popular culture in your mind. Like uh, it, it can't just be slaving behind in a desk in an agency, you know, 18, 20 hours a day, because it's just, that's not going to, that's not going to make, it's not going to allow you to do your best work. So I, I love that you just said this because this is something that I say all the time, but I am not a creative and I haven't been a creative in a big agency. And so a lot of times I'm kind of met with resistance to this, but I really believe, and this usually comes up by the way, when I'm telling creative agencies that they need to track their time and they go, that's going to stifle our creativity. And my argument is always to your point that actually I believe that introducing a little bit of structure and introducing like some idea of rails is actually going to allow people to do their best work. Because to your point, if you have five hours to do it, you'll do it in five hours. And then, you might actually get to go for a walk and have fresh ideas, or you might actually go, get to go to the gym and take care of yourself so that you can show up with energy to work the next day to work on that next idea. And so I think there are certainly situations where you come up with something at 11 o'clock at night and the client meeting is tomorrow and you're just going to do that because that's just what you want to do. But, um, 
it, it's interesting to have this conversation because I really do believe that some level of structure is actually going to help enhance creativity rather than stifle it. But I, I think time tracking will actually be the op- actually does the opposite because it's all about billable hours. And so you can go and justify to a client, this is how much we're billing you because we spent, you know, this creative work 80 hours that week. And we had a whole staff of people working 80 hours. And so that's how much we spent on it. And that that's what we should be billing to the client. But it should only be about the the ideas and the impact of those ideas. If I've been doing this long enough and I can go and come up with an idea in an hour, I shouldn't be paid less than someone who worked, you know, 200 hours trying to come up with a comparable idea. It should be about results. And are we doing ideas that cut through and get people's attention and get results? And if not, then we shouldn't be doing, you shouldn't be working with us. And so, you know, it's like my, I remember my dad saying to me, like, you know, you go and pay a kid $20 to shovel your driveway. But if he goes and comes with a, a snowblower, you should still pay him the $20, even if he's getting it done in a quarter of the time, because it's still the job gets done. Um, and it's, you know, you shouldn't pay someone more money just because they're, they're less efficient at getting their job done. Do you want some free resources to help you measure and improve your profitability? If you do, then I want to tell you about our agency profitability toolkit, which you can grab absolutely free in the show notes or by heading to parakeeto.com forward slash toolkit. It's packed with training videos, cheat sheets, templates, and all kinds of other great resources to help you start measuring and improving the essential metrics that are going to drive better profitability in your business. And it's helped thousands of other agencies around the world do the same. So I want to encourage you to go and grab a copy of that. And if you'd rather get in the fast lane and just have our team of experts guide you through the process of measuring and improving your profitability, then I want to encourage you to apply for a consultation at parakeeto.com. With that, I want to thank you again for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the episode and I'll let you get back to it. I completely agree with what you're saying. And that's, I think, the question of pricing on hours, but mm-hmm. um, which I don't think anybody really should be doing in a lot of cases because you're, you're totally correct. It's not the best way to capture the maximum amount of value from the project. What I'm referring to is tracking time tracking purely as an internal thing, which is really, really mm-hmm. important to the health of the business and also to resource planning and making sure that you're scoping things properly. People aren't being overworked. You're not over-allocating exactly. things like that. Yeah, yeah. You, you want people to like, people there needs to be balance you know and people need to go and have a life and i remember when i was at uh toy we were only like a four or five person agency um and when we started and i was like the first creative hire i was like can we make sure we have no monday client meetings because monday client meetings force the creatives to work the weekend um so like let's make it you know whenever possible make it any other day except for monday or can we not have Friday briefings? Because you, you have a briefing on Friday and you're assuming I'm going to like work on it and think about it over the weekend. And I don't want that weighing on me. Let's have a briefing <laughs> Monday through Thursday. And it's putting some of those parameters and structures in place to like allow for a humane work environment. And I think the thing that's happening now is people used to buy into this because that was the only advertising agencies were the only, you know, uh, show in town. And, you know, it's the only place that kind of creative weirdos who came out of art school knew where to get a job and actually make a good living with that skill set. Uh, but now those opportunities extend way beyond the, the walls of agencies. And you have what, 60 to 70% of brands bringing, uh, you know, in, building in-house creative departments. And so, and some of those work environments are pretty great. And it's not, you know, it's not great because you get free lunch. It's great because you're actually, uh, you know, aren't working typically as crazy hours and buying into this mindset that ad agencies have perpetuated over, you know, decades. Um, so like that's where you're competing with and you're going to have to allow for people to have balance. You're going to have to allow for people to be 
making the best creative work of their lives and also having, you know, a life at the same time. Mm. I, I totally agree. And I'm, I'm happy to see more agencies starting to wake up to that. I think there's still a lot of work to mm-hmm. be done. And, um, you know, I think what I see in my line of work, which is certainly more on the operations side, is that a lot of times people don't believe that that's possible because their business isn't viable unless people are working twice as much as they should be. And so that needs to get first. Yeah, absolutely. Or you're just going to keep losing amazing talent and you're going to go out of business really quickly. Yeah. Totally. Cause like if I'm a UX designer, why would I stay at an agency and make 60 K and work 68, 70, 80 hours a week when I could go work for Google and make three times that much and leave work at 6 PM every night? Yeah. Well, and the other, the other thing is like agencies also historically have had, you know, especially the ones that are owned by holding companies have that one big, if not more sh- shitty client that treats everyone terribly and everyone feels like they have to do their time on it. and I just don't have to do that anymore. I can go freelance and pick and choose whatever projects I want, or I can go work at a Google or an Apple or an Airbnb and and do stuff that I'm really passionate about and excited about. And I don't have to work on, you know, work with someone treating me like crap. Um, and it's like, you know, I, I think this whole, you know, structure is going to be torn down to the ground pretty quickly. And the ones that, you know, are, are taking care of their employees and still doing great work um, are going to be the ones that survive it. So I, I love where this conversation has gone. It got actually a lot more um, practical than I expected it to. Um, but I think we want to dig, I want to dig into a little bit of something that's not quite operations and profits, um, but that's also very important. I think is going to resonate with a lot of people that are listening to this because a lot of them are creatives that are now running their own agency. And I think a big part of what you've done with Working Not Working is you've created a really great community. And I remember um, during your talk in Calgary, you shared kind of one of the initiatives that you started there that has had it, you know, a big impact on you and, and a lot of the other people that you care about in that community. Um, and it's really about getting creatives together to actually discuss a lot of what we just talked about, the pains and the different emotional uh, hurdles that um, come with being a creative and being in this industry that's a lot of times misunderstood and has a lot of uh, things tied to it. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what you're doing there. Yeah, so... A few years ago, I started a, a podcast called Overshare. Um, and because I got tired of going to conferences and seeing people only talk about the highlights and looking at their perfectly, perfectly curated Instagram feeds, uh, I can't relate to someone's unbelievable illustration talent, but I can relate to the struggle it takes to get there. And so I started interviewing creatives I admire about the struggles of being a creative professional, which has been almost like therapy for me. Uh, just, I used to think everyone else had to figure it out. And once you realize nobody actually does, you feel so much better about your own shit. Um, and some of these podcasts, uh, we would do is live events. And at the end, people would ask really heartfelt, vulnerable questions. And it just seemed like there's a lot of stuff that people need to talk about. And, uh, and I heard a stat from the world health organization that said the leading cause of ill health and disability in the world is depression. And I feel like the creative industry is probably more susceptible to that than most. Um, and so I, I threw out an email and I said, I don't know if anyone's going to be into this, um, but uh, I'm doing this thing called Talking Not Talking. We're going to sit around a circle and talk about whatever we're struggling with right now. And who knows? <laughs> you know, it may, uh, there may be laughs, there may be tears, there, you know, maybe we, we feel a lot better about, you know, a lot better coming out of there than we did going in. And I, I sent the email to our community in New York, which was about a, couple, a few thousand people at the time. 
and I had maybe room for 75 RSUPs and it sold out in 10 minutes and it was free, but it like RSUPs filled up in 10 minutes and we had a waiting list of 130 people. I was like, wow, okay, this resonates. And, and we showed up and we just started, you know, sat in a circle and just talked about whatever we were dealing with right now, whether it was the loneliness of freelancing and working from home or trying to start your own business and not knowing what the hell you're doing when you're trying to do that as a creative, you know, um, to imposter syndrome or comparing ourselves to others uh, or reinventing our careers as, you know, the things of what we do, you know, the, in the landscape completely shifts. And so we've been doing that now for, you know, almost a couple of years on a monthly basis after work. And it's been incredibly powerful. And I think the thing, the overwhelming feedback I've gotten is that we're not as fucked up and as special as we think we are. <laughs> like you go and sit in the room and you're like, Oh my God, I connect with that and that and that and that. And yeah, I, I've been struggling with that too. And, and it's just like, Oh, I'm not the only one dealing with this. And I think a lot of times it's really easy to think you are. And so to go, and there's a great quote that I'd heard that um, they said, don't compare your blooper reel to everyone else's highlight reels. Mm. And in, in the last talking, I talked and the guy said, no, that's so great because right now I feel like I'm comparing my blooper reel to everyone else's blooper reels. And it feels so refreshing and so encouraging. And, and that's the thing. It's like, we need to, we need to come together um, and really support each other because the thing that we do is, is really stressful and really uncertain, um, you know, trying to create something out of nothing on a daily basis um, takes a lot and it takes its toll on you, especially when you apply the, the, like also having to be a business person at the same time, whether you're freelance or, you know, running, running a company. Uh, and so it's, it's probably one of the things I'm most proud of because it's, uh, it, it seems to be resonating a lot. We've extended it to New York. I mean, it's been to San Francisco and Los Angeles. So we have those meetings on the same night and it's just been, uh, it's been really powerful and extremely fulfilling. Well, I'm glad that you shared this um, because I, I'm certainly a big uh, fan of having peer groups and support groups. It's something that's been really influential in my life as I've gone through different challenges. And, and then today as a, an entrepreneur, it's something that I don't think I could live without. And I'm fortunate enough to be a part of a, you know, a, a mastermind group that gives me the opportunity to have these kinds of question conversations. And so uh, I just wanted to make sure that anyone that was listening that is a creative is running an agency and it maybe doesn't feel like they have that uh, support group could understand that there is this kind of stuff out there. And this is one of those examples. And so I'm going to make sure that I leave links to all the things that Justin has mentioned today, including working, not working, New York City garbage, and this uh, in the show notes. So if you're listening, and you feel like this is something that you'd like to explore, then scroll down into the show notes, and uh, there'll be a link there. So you can figure out how to get involved. And I think one of the things that you know, it's hard with it is it's intimidating for people to show up to these things. Because it's already hard enough to talk about your feelings, never mind in a room full of 20, 30 people. Um, and I spent, you know, I, I semi jokingly say that I spent 35 years not feeling feelings. Um, and it, it wasn't until I started going to Al Anon meetings, which is for like family members and friends of alcoholics, where I really started unlocking that stuff and, and being like, oh, I feel that. And, and it's the same thing that happened here. And it's the thing that made me go, oh, wow, like, this is something that's valuable. And I think I could provide this for the creative industry as well. And, you know, I feel really fortunate to have, you know, uh, opened up to some of those things that maybe I was distracting myself from, whether it was working all the time, um, or, you know, kind of masking things with humor. 
but really now, I, you know, people that were just casual acquaintances, I can now have really honest uh, and vulnerable conversations very quickly. Uh, and they've become some of my best friends because I'm, I'm willing to talk about this stuff and not keep up the front of killing it, killing it, killing it, hustling, hustling, hustling. <laughs> but now I'm kind of having a, a, a yeah, I'm kind of know what the hell I'm doing right now. And I have groups of friends now, whether, you know, talking and talking, but then also just some, uh, a couple buddies that we just get dinner once a month and talk about business struggles. We all own businesses. Um, and so it's like finding your support group and your support system, uh, no matter what you're doing and people that can relate to that, um, is just completely invaluable. Um, so I'm so glad that you're doing it. And, um, I hope that anyone that's listening that, you know, has the opportunity to join a meeting and, and feels like it'll be valuable for them, takes the time to reach out. And I strongly encourage anyone that's listening that feels that way to do so. Um, yeah, can't support something like that enough. So I want to, yeah, love to have it. I want to end the show um, on a little bit more of a tactical note, not tactical, but just, I think you have a wealth of experience now um, working in the creative industry, both at agencies and then as a freelancer and now um, running, working, not working and really kind of being at the intersection of big brands and excellent creative talent. I'm curious to know what some of the surprising things are that you've learned from being in that new viewpoint are about the creative industry or about the way that agencies and freelancers, um, you know, try to find each other. Uh, one of the biggest things I've seen is that that shift to uh, working with brands, right? Um, and I think one of the things that uh, has happened is it used to be a, a stigma to go and work at a brand. It was like, uh, you know, you, you'd be working on the coupons and direct mail flyers and all of that stuff. And, and I think there's uh, now like some of the, the best work in the world is, is happening at, you know, like Red Bull and had a guy skydive from space. You know, there's just cool shit happening at, at, at brands. And I think they're, they're having success attracting talent because they're really clear on their mission. Mm-hmm. And they're putting their mission out there and it's a beacon for the type of people that want to work there. So people go to Airbnb and know what they're, they're going there for and what, why they're going, what their purpose is there. Or Google or, you know, Headspace, all these places. And I think what one thing that agencies suffer from, they're really good at marketing other people's uh, brands, but they're generally pretty terrible at marketing themselves. And if you put the mission statements of the top 50 agencies, you know, in the country on the wall, they're pretty difficult to tell apart. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's one thing that they, you know, agencies could do a better job of is really articulating what makes them unique. And not in jargon and hyperbole, but like really what differentiates them and what their purpose is and, and what drives them. Because uh, I think it's really, they have an advantage over these brands where they have a diversity of opportunity. You, you know, to be able to jump from one client that's, you know, uh, you know packaged goods to a, a pro bono client and, and bounce around and, and, and exercise your brain in different ways throughout the course of a day is, is a great challenge. And it's a great opportunity for creative people. Um, but I don't think agencies are doing a well enough job of articulating that, that competitive advantage and, and that opportunity. So, you know, that's my advice to a lot of agencies is just, you know, really get clear on your mission. And at the same time, I think the future of the industry is uh, intellectual property. And every creative person I know has a startup idea, a product idea, an app idea, um, a screenplay idea. And I'm not saying you should go and you know, support all of those. But I think as a company, you can go and, you know, let your team pitch ideas and see if there's any worth investing in. 
and, and working together. Because if I had come from an agency where that supported that, I would probably be a lot further along. You know, we would be a lot further along right now because we'd have support and resources and some expertise that maybe we didn't have on our own. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, there's some agencies doing that, like RGA has an incubator. Um, Mother New York historically has, you know, they, they had an idea for a gourmet hot dog cart and they ended up launching one in the West Village and then it like sold and they ended up opening a chain of dogmatic uh, hot dog stores. Um, so I think there's there's opportunities there. And you just have to be willing to, you know, invest in them and support them and, and see what you can make happen. And then that's the stuff that leads to more client work. It's like go and make the ideas that you want to see in the world and then, you know, and that you would be excited to do. And then that, that ends up in turn attracting more business and getting more people coming to you for that. Yeah. And, and I mean, we've talked, I think every single episode, every single episode, I'm going to have to go back <laughs> and confirm this, but it feels like every single episode of the Agency Profit podcast, somebody says something about getting more clear about what you do and who you do it for um, and kind of your mission and whether it relates to getting more business, whether it relates to having a more efficient operational system on the back end, whether it relates to attracting great talent. It seems like there is just no reason why you shouldn't be really clear about who you are and what you do. And I think that's one thing that we've even learned from like, you know, we didn't have a mission statement for six and a half years. And, uh, and now we're like, Oh no, it's our mission is to eliminate the obstacles between creative people and opportunity. And we didn't have our values down until about a month ago. And even just like articulating those of like, you know, how do we, what do we believe in and how do we operate? And it's just such a, now it, it, it crystallizes everything that we've talked about that's just been floating up here. And we're able to go, hey, this is actually what we believe in. And now we're trying to figure out how do we get that out into the world so people really understand uh, not just what we do, but why we do it and why it's important to us. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think a lot of the people that are listening that maybe haven't done this in a while, it probably is because you feel like you're always in the weeds. You're always slammed. If you're thinking like, I could never afford to invest in one of my employees' ideas because we can barely get our own projects out the door, then you know, maybe it's time to take a step back and try to achieve a little bit more operational excellence so you can create the space for this kind of stuff to happen on an ongoing basis because it is very important. Um, and I think it's Absolutely. become increasingly important as the landscape changes to your point, Justin, especially as creatives take back more of their power and autonomy to go and work on what they want to work on. And as the way that work is changing supports that as well in the, in the future. Absolutely. So this has been a very interesting episode. We've covered a lot of ground. We've talked about a lot of things. Um, so before we leave, are any final words of wisdom or advice for the audience at home? Um, I think one piece of advice that always come, my dad gave me when I was a kid, and I thought it was his advice, and I thought it was genius, but he just plagiarized it from Zig Ziglar. Um, but it was help enough other people get what they want, and you'll always get what you want. And I think that's, you know, been something we've tried to do at Working Networking and something I've tried to do throughout my career. And it always comes back tenfold when you're doing what you do in service of others. And uh, I just want to read like a text message we, uh, <laughs> we got, or one of our members got, they shared with us uh, that kind of epitomizes this. Um, and it was, uh, so this text message came to uh, one of our members, Mike, and it said, Hey, Mike, this is that random dude that you sponsored to be on Working Networking after dropping you and your mom off through Lyft. I just wanted to message you and thank you for opening that door for me. The last two years have been crazy as I was at Apple doing UX and I'm currently at Nike as a senior product designer. Two years ago, I was doing Lyft and Uber every day to survive and I still remember those days. 
Hopefully you're doing well. Just wanted to drop you a note and thank you again. It might've seemed small, but you helped turn my life around. It's pretty amazing. Thanks. So we're just trying to get, get more, more stories like that, more texts like that, and really just try to connect people, um, you know, to the, to the job they really want. And it, I, I think it's possible. And I think, you know, all of us can be doing our part and, you know, just making good connections, helping other people and, and, and letting everybody, uh, make great shit and put it out into the world. Well, speaking of great connections for those that are listening that want to follow you and what you're doing, where's the best place for them to reach out? Uh, all the socials, uh, at Justin Genac. Uh, and I'm sure we'll link that in the show notes and then you can also follow me on working out working and, uh, yeah, definitely hit me up. Uh, we'd love to have you join us, uh, whether you're a creative or uh, a creative company. Uh, we'd love to have you in the community. Awesome. So as you heard, uh, we will in fact have all of this in the show notes. So wherever you're listening, just scroll down. We'll have links to all of the things that were discussed today and lots of different ways that you can get in touch with Justin, learn more about working, not working and uh, the projects that he's done. So with that, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today, Justin. It's always great chatting with you. My pleasure, man. Thanks so much. All right. And for those of you listening at home, leave us a comment wherever you're listening to this. Let us know what your biggest insight was and we'll see you on the next episode. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you've ever found yourself thinking, man, I get so much value from this podcast. I wish there was something I could do to return the favor. Well, today's your lucky day because you can leave us a review wherever you're listening to this and it is incredibly helpful. Of course, if you haven't grabbed a free copy of the Agency Profit Toolkit, go and get that. It's got tons of free resources to help you improve your profitability. If you're looking to get in the fast lane and get help from experts to improve your profitability and measure your most important metrics, then apply for a consultation at parakeeto.com. We'd love to chat with you and figure out how we can help. With all of that, thank you so much for being a listener, and we will see you on the next episode. (laughs) 